Hi, this is Jimmy Evans with Marriage Today. This podcast is dedicated to equipping families with the teaching and tools they need to succeed. We hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more marriage building content. I want to talk to you about the fourth law of marriage. Genesis 2.25, it says the man and his wife were both naked and they were unashamed. The word naked there is the word arom. It just means to be exposed. So God created marriage to be the most intimate relationship on earth. And intimacy is only possible when there's unhindered access. Okay. And so the nakedness that Adam and Eve had was mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. And I don't believe they had a pornographic physical nakedness. I believe the glory of God covered their bodies before they sinned. And so Adam and Eve were able to completely open their minds, their emotions, their dreams, their spirits, and their bodies to each other without any shame or fear whatsoever so they could have intimacy. And that was true until sin came into the garden. And when sin came into the Garden of Eden, immediately they began to hide themselves from God and each other. And this wonderful nakedness that they had before, this exposure on every level that they had before, now they didn't have. Because intimacy is not possible in a sinful environment. When you're not safe for me, when you're sinning against me with your words and actions. Now remember, when Adam and Eve sinned and God came to Adam and said, what is this that you've done? Adam said, that woman, that she, you gave me a bad woman. Men have been saying it ever since. You, and let me, he wasn't just accusing Eve, he was accusing God. You gave me a bad woman. And then he went to Eve and said, what is this that you've done? And she said, the devil made me do it. Neither one of them took responsibility for their behavior, so they couldn't trust each other. The trust was out the window. And so I want to, I want to talk to you about purity. You can only be intimate in an environment of carefulness. When people are careful about their behavior and take responsibility. Let me tell you how you fell in love. You fell in love because you were careful. When you went out for the first, second, third, fourth time with your prospective spouse, you were very careful in what you said. You were very careful in what you did. I remember I was a 16-year-old, you know, uh, kid when I picked up Karen the first time in my 1964 Dynamic 88 Oldsmobile. <laughs> Watch out now. And one entire side of the car had been wrecked. My mother wrecked both my—I have two older brothers, Damon and Lucifer. She— <laughs> She wrecked the first car, gave it to Mike, my brother. She wrecked the second car, gave it to Randy, my brother. She wrecked the third car and gave it to me. <laughs> and one entire side of that car was wiped out. So I picked up Karen, and, and so the doors didn't open on the right side. And so I always picked Karen up on the good side. <laughs> she did not know there was a bad side to my car for years. And I would just strategically, we'd go to a restaurant, wherever we went. We got a, so I picked her up, and I remember how careful I was when I was driving. You know, and I would just hit a little bee bump. Are you okay? <laughs> you sorry. Five years later, I'm throwing her out the window. You know, <laughs> you know how it is. And so you're careful. You fall in love because, and when you do something wrong, you take responsibility for it. You fall out of love because you don't care. You begin to say and do things that are careless, that are hurtful. And so I've got to protect myself from you. This is the holy of holies. I simply can't share thoughts with you that I'm afraid are going to come back to me later on and hurt me. I can't share feelings with you when you're unsafe. I can't open up and be intimate with you when I feel as though that maybe you're my enemy and that you're going to hurt me later on. This is the holy of holies and I just can't open it up in an unsafe environment. And so I'll tell you our story more here in just a little bit. 
But I want to talk about anger and conflict resolution. If you're going to deal, if you're going to keep your relationship pure, you've got to be able to deal with conflict and anger. It, see, in good marriages, you fight. There can be conflict in good marriages. A good marriage is not a marriage where you never fight. And by the way, if you never fight, it could be because someone's dominating the relationship. So the lack of conflict doesn't always mean something good's going on. But there's nothing wrong with anger. There's nothing wrong with conflict. But you have to be able to process it without damaging each other. That's the main thing that you have to do in marriage. And most of us did not have a good role model growing up on how to resolve conflict. Now, in the home that I grew up in, um, we, we didn't know how to deal with conflict, and we never did. The, uh, we just didn't look at each other. So there was never a time in my family growing up where I ever saw someone say, hey, I'm really upset, and you did something that bothered me, and could we sit down and talk about it? We just didn't look at each other. And so for days at a time. And so you knew that someone was angry because they wouldn't look at you. And you knew they were over it because they looked at you. Okay. So that's the family I grew up in. So Karen's family, uh, now to me they were crazy. Okay, so, uh, but they were very much more healthy than my family because they would yell. Uh, they'd be mad and they would yell uh, at each other. Then they would cry and make up. And I just thought, you people need to be normal and just don't look at each other. <laughs> What's wrong with you? So Karen and I, I, we were dating, and I was in college, and Karen worked at a bank, uh, and she lived in a duplex, and I w went to college, and I, I was playing, so I played golf all the time, worked, played golf, went to school. And so Karen said, I want to make you dinner. Uh, tell me which night's good for you, and I want to make you dinner. And I said, uh, well, Friday night's good. She said, come over at 6 o'clock, I'm going to make you a big special dinner. And I, I love meatloaf, so she was making me meatloaf and mashed potatoes and all this favorite stuff. So uh, Friday afternoon, I went to play golf with my friends. Uh, I was supposed to be at Karen's house at 6, and I looked down. I was 30 miles away at a golf course, and I looked down at my watch at 5.30, and I had three more holes to go. And I thought, well, I should go get in my car, and I should drive as fast as I can to Karen's house, and I may get there you know, close to being on time. Well, I, I didn't. I went ahead and finished the golf match. And uh, now th this is before cell phones. We didn't have cell phones. So you didn't know. You didn't know where people were. So um, I went in and fi uh, finished the golf match, jumped in the car and drove to Karen's house. And I got there at seven. And she had cooked this incredible, incredible meal. So I walk in. She didn't know where I was. She didn't know if I was forgot, died. She didn't know. So I walk in the door and um, I can see she's in the kitchen and she's upset. And so I walked in and she gave me that look like every woman in here understands what Karen was going through and so I walked in and so the table was set and you know and I walk in sit down at the table didn't say anything and uh and Karen I could hear her kind of knocking dishes around and stuff you know she's taking stuff out of the oven she kept it warm so she puts this plate in front of me just beautiful plate of you know meatloaf mashed potatoes all this beautiful stuff here rolls and everything and then she gets her a plate and she sits down in front of me we've not spoken since I walked in the house and I, I haven't showered I'm stinky I've just played golf and all that stuff so I sit there for a minute, and uh, we're quiet, just very awkward. And then I said these words. I said, what's your problem? <laughs> and about a second later, I was wearing meatloaf. <laughs> she took her plate, 
threw it in my face. But let me say now, the part that hit my mouth was delicious. <laughs> she threw it in my face like that. And she ran out the door. Well, she had a Volkswagen Super Beetle. I had her blocked in the driveway. She drove through the backyard. Well, that was our first fight. So we have some friends in Houston. Uh, they are maybe the most dysfunctional couple I've ever heard of. Now, they have a marriage ministry now. They're wonderful people. But uh, <laughs> so they got in a fight one day, and she, she was kind of mouthy, and he was kind of quiet. So they got in a fight one day, and she was just, yeah, 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 like that. So he just quietly, he was a, he was a builder. Uh, he just quietly walked out the door, walked out to his truck, got his nail gun, nailed all the doors and windows shut and left. <laughs> she couldn't get out of the house. I hope I didn't give anybody any ideas. So let me say, <laughs> let me talk about the four don'ts of anger. Let's talk about anger and conflict resolution. This is Ephesians 4. Uh, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't, don't let the sun go down your, uh, on your wrath. Let, don't uh, give place to the devil. So here's the number one don't. Don't deny your anger. There's nothing wrong with anger. God gets angry. Don't deny it. Be angry. Jesus got angry and cleansed the temple twice. Ang anger is a healthy, normal thing that human beings ex experience. So there's nothing wrong with it. You never become so spiritual that you don't get angry. For the rest of your life, regardless of your level of spiritual maturity or emotional maturity, you're going to have some anger. Now, children of divorce have a lot harder time with anger. And I want to read you an excerpt from a book called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce by Judith Wallerstein and Sandra Blakesley. And I'm reading now. Because children of divorce don't know how to negotiate conflict well, many reach for the worst solutions when trouble strikes. For example, some will sit on their feelings, not mentioning complaints or differences until their suppressed anger blows the guy's eye. Others burst into tears and are immobilized or retreat into themselves or the next room and close the door. But the most common tendency is to run away at the first serious disagreement and wrestle with unconscious demons. This is because from the perspective of a child of divorce, any argument can be the first step in an inevitable chain of conflict that will destroy the marriage. And so if you're a child of divorce or if you're married to one, you've got to really take this issue seriously. And so the steps that I'm going through are in my book, okay? So this is one of the chapters in my book. You need to read it every day. You need to become a master of this. Some of the people that I know who were the worst in dealing with anger are now experts in dealing with anger. And the first step is just saying, I don't know how to do it. I didn't have good role models growing up, and most of us didn't have good role models growing up. But if you're a child of divorce, really, really pay attention. Listen, there's nothing wrong with anger. Don't fear anger. Just because it ended your parents' marriage doesn't mean it needs to end yours. If you learn how to deal with your anger, it's fine. Don't feel guilty about your anger. There's nothing wrong. Now, when we get angry, we're not saying that our anger is necessarily right. I can be angry because someone legitimately violated me, but I can also be angry because I'm ignorant. A lot of my anger early in our marriage was because I didn't understand women. Karen was a normal woman, and I, think, I thought she's beautiful, I'm very attracted to her physically, but she's the strangest person I've ever met. That's what I thought. I really did. But she was normal. But in my ignorance, uh, you know, I got angry. Misunderstanding, immaturity, we get, we get uh, angry because we're immature. Unrealistic expectations cause anger. Stress causes anger. So I'm not saying that my anger's right. I'm just saying it's real. And I want to be able to process it in our home. Listen, the hallmark of dysfunction is not allowing emotions to come out. Silence. 
In dysfunctional families, you can't be real, you can't feel, and you can't talk. In a functional family, we just allow feelings. We, we, we talk. We express things. It doesn't mean, again, that we worship our emotions or we do it in an unhealthy way, but we're able to talk. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay. So if you, by the way, if you don't deal with your anger, it causes health problems, emotional problems, and all kinds of problems. So you, when you bottle up anger, it doesn't go away. It just begins to cause all kinds of problems. You also have to cultivate an atmosphere of honesty in your, in your home, in your marriage. You have to cultivate an atmosphere of honesty. It, here's what he said. You have to tell your spouse, I want you to be honest with me, and you will not pay a price. I may not disagree with you, but you won't pay a price for being honest. Because in many cases, when we're doing marriage counseling, people can't be honest with each other because they go ballistic. Well, let me talk about customer relations counters. Your favorite stores and my favorite stores have customer relations counters. And the best stores have the best customer relations counter. Now, they're, they're great stores, but they still have problems. The best stores still have problems. And they know they have, they're going to have problems, and so they have a customer relations counter. And so there's a store that, that I love dealing with. It's a clothing store. You would know the name of it. And I bought a leather jacket there 10, 15 years ago, and after a couple of years, the, the shoulder went out on it. And I took it in, and I set it on the counter where they, in the area where they sold the jackets. And a young lady was at the counter, and I said, yeah, if, if y'all would fix that, I'd really do appreciate it. And she said, well, what went wrong with it? And I said, I don't know. I said, it just kind of blew up, you know. And she looked at it. She said, well, it sure did, didn't it? She said, how long have you had that jacket? And I said, oh, a couple of years. And she said, well, Mr. Evans, why don't you just go over there and get you another one? I said, well, I don't want to buy another one. I said, if y'all would just fix that, that's great. And she said, no, no, go get, go get another one. We'll give you another one. Just go get another one. I said, you want me to go over there and get another one? She said, just go get you another one. We'll give you another one. And I said, well, so I went over there and picked out a little, it was a little bit more expensive than that one. And, <laughs> and I brought it back over and, uh, and I said, well, here, honey, this, I, I like this jacket, but it's, better, it's more expensive than this one was. And she said, she scanned the deal and she said, thank you, Mr. Evans, goodbye. I love the store, I love her. <laughs> I lo well, you know, it doesn't make you feel good. It just makes you feel good that you can take something back and they're not going to shame you and hassle you and stuff like that. Well, someone gave me a shirt one day for, for like, birthday. And um, it, it was sized. It was, six, it was 16 and a half, 36 shirt, my size. And so I, Karen was doing some ironing. I said, Karen, would you press this thing? I'm going to wear the shirt. So I, I put it on and it didn't fit. It was an Italian cut. And <laughs> so... So I took it to the store, took it back to the store, put it back in the box, took it to the store, and uh, went up to the counter, and there was a guy behind the counter, and I said, hey, I, this, someone gave me this shirt from a birthday or whatever, and I said, it doesn't fit, and I, if I could just exchange it. And he opened the box and looked at it, and he said, this shirt's been worn, and pushed it back at me. We don't take back used merchandise. And I said, no, it actually hadn't been worn. I said, my wife pressed it, but I didn't wear it. I said, it just, it just doesn't fit. I just want to get another one. I pushed it back at him. He said, no, it's been worn. He pushed it back at me. And I just kind of stared at him, and I said, no, it, it hasn't been worn. I want to get another one. And so he went and get, got his manager. Well, his manager came back, and uh, his manager came back and never looked at me, never acknowledged my presence. So the manager walks up, and so this guy standing behind the counter says, this guy wants to bring this shirt back, but it's been worn. I said, no, it hadn't been worn. But the manager never looked at me. So the manager took the shirt out of the box, and he held it up to the light like this and then he started sniffing the armpits 
And I just thought, you guys really need to be thankful. I know Jesus. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, oh. I've never been back in that store. I don't want to, I don't want to be hassled like that. Well, let me say, whether you realize it or not, if you're married, you have a customer relations counter. And here's the kind of customer relations counter you need to have for your spouse. Baby, I want to be your department store of love. <laughs> and I'm trying to put everything in my store that I think you'll like, but I am imperfect. But if you ever have a complaint, you just come right here and see me. I'm going to give you another one. <laughs> oh, yes, I will. Or you can have this kind of a customer relations counter. But you have a customer relations counter. And so in marriage, we should have a customer relations counter, and anger is legal in our family. Anger is angles, anger's a normal, okay, normal thing. Anger is legal. Number two, don't. Of anger, don't justify sin because you're angry. Be angry, don't sin. That's what Paul says. Don't justify anger. A lot of people do the wrong thing in response to what their spouse is doing and wonder why something good doesn't happen. You can only defeat a spirit with the opposite spirit. And when you're responding fire with fire, or spite with spite, or hatefulness with hatefulness, you're never going to solve the problem. So be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down. This is the third don't. Don't let the sun go down. There's nothing wrong with today's anger, okay? But yesterday's anger is the problem. That's where destructive anger comes from. It is yesterday's anger. So one of the best habits that you make as a married couple is we're not going to go to bed angry. We're going to process our anger today. Number four, don't, is don't give a place to the devil. Be angry, don't sin, don't go to bed on your anger, or you'll give a foothold to the devil. So when you go to bed on anger, you open a door to diabolos. That's the word for devil. Diabolos, which means slander. Here's what it means. Today's anger is manageable. Today, there's nothing wrong with today's anger. We're going to be able to talk about it. The devil does not have access to today's anger. But when I go to bed on anger, he slithers in. He's stealthy. He doesn't tell you it's you. Your anger gave him an open door to come in and to slander your spouse to you. And all night long, you're laying in bed, and thoughts are in your mind that didn't originate with God or you. They came from the devil. You wake up the next morning thinking you're enlightened. You're actually deceived. And now you begin to look at your spouse through the devil's eyes with deeply held beliefs that are deceived because you went to bed on anger, and the devil began to access that anger. How do I know? Because I did it for three years. For the first three years of our marriage, we fought constantly. Remember, I was the silent type. This was, this was my iniquity. That I, I went to bed on anger constantly. Hundreds of times I went to bed angry at Karen. And so um, I believed that Karen was the problem, and I believed that I'd married the wrong woman. I, had, I, I truly believed those two things. The night that the Lord saved our marriage, and I know Karen had been praying a lot, is that I was in the living room, and that's when I had read that morning, John 16, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. I had told Karen to get out of the house. She was in the bedroom crying. I was in the living room. And I said the first ounce of humility I'd ever shown in our marriage, I said, Holy Spirit, teach me how to be a husband. And the deception of three years fell off of my eyes. And I saw myself, I, I was an arrogant man, and I thought that I was wonderful and Karen was all the problem. The next instant after I prayed that prayer, 
I saw my wife as the precious gift of God that she was, and I saw myself for the idiot I was. God saved me. The Holy Spirit brought truth into my life. Listen, I had been looking at Karen through the devil's eyes. Now I was looking at her through God's eyes. This is Brent Evans with Marriage Today, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out marriagetoday.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, videos, articles, and live events.